I can remember fairly vividly putting together my first sales forecast. It wasn't yesterday, it was quite some time ago, but I can remember the sensation of fear and dread and then probably followed by confusion as I went through the process of trying to put together a forecast for sales for the next 12 months. And I spent a lot of time on it, you know. I was given a rough guide by my sales manager at the time and told to look at my current client base and what likely growth there would have been and cross-platform selling within the existing portfolio and where new clients were going to come from and take into factors, you know, politics and, you know, pestle kind of analysis on it and then a SWOT analysis. And I was trying to approach it with a degree of logic and a degree of seriousness that I had never really done before. Prior to this, it was just head down and it was almost mouth to mouth sales. You were, you had a good day, you had a good week, you had a good month and a good quarter. You had a good day, a bad day, a bad week and a good week and so it went. But the focus was outside of my control. I was given a target and if I did hit it, there was a bit of a bonus. And if I didn't hit it, there was no real consequence. So this time was the very first time that I was given ownership and I was part of maturing into a professional salesperson and really taking things seriously. And we were given, I don't know, let's say two months to come up with a forecast that we would have to present at a board meeting for a regional um, a regional meeting of bringing together all the regional heads and there was quite maybe a big round table and 10 or 12 people around the table, you know. And I had come up with what I thought was a really good plan based on uh, ignorance, I guess, and naivety. And the manager took it and goes, right, Paul, okay, can you just briefly explain this? And I went through it and he says, okay, well, this is what we're going to go for anyway. We're going to go for 11% across everything. And I said, well, hang on a second. You knew it was going to be 11% already, right? And he goes, yeah, well, that's what we've been told we have to do. So it doesn't really matter. And I was challenging why did you have me do that? Why didn't you just put 11 on it and just see what the crack is? And he said, well, you need to get used to doing this. And my head was based on the fact that get used to putting a lot of time in only for you to kick back my forecast. But we spent a lot of time on it and never really quite managed to get it on point. But we were always aware of the importance of forecasting and planning your activities for the following year and being honest with yourself and asking challenging questions of your clients. Uh, customers and people that you'd had a good trading relationship with and of course that might have been the first time in a year you, you would have had a really really serious heart-to-heart -heart conversation with your customer and that was at the point you were really determining how strong your relationship was and it always dawned on me from that moment the importance of being able to challenge your the thinking of your customers or clients as you call them whatever as often as you can because you're building up trust by adding value to those questions and you're building up uh, strength in the relationship. And as I've said before, once you've got a really, really strong relationship, you're able to challenge and you're able to create a little bit of tension in that relationship. And that's whenever you're able to push them in the direction that you need them and they can push you in the direction. And so it goes. It's not coincidental that I'm currently working with a couple of clients that are struggling to 
forecast on, let's say, a short-term basis. So we're working on the annual figure, we're working on a quarterly figure, and we're working on a monthly figure, and also a weekly figure. Part of the clue to all that is that pick your number that you want to achieve for the year, work out what a typical deal size is, what kind of yields you need to increase it by, and then do the maths to work out how many deals that you need to deliver across the year. So if you need to deliver 10 deals, then you can work out um, from a relatively simple position um, that you're going to need a certain number of proposals, you're going to need a certain number of pipeline opportunities created by delivering a certain number of meetings with a certain number of targets. And so you can break down the maths fairly easily and it's normally 20% um, is the is the figure you kind of run to. So if you do uh, 100 meetings, then you're probably going to have about 20 proposals out of that. And if you've got a good strike rate, you'll do uh, one and two, which is all great if you're kind of doing the maths, staying focused, working religiously to a process, um, have a clear idea of who you need to target, know your territory, know your geography, know your customers, know the sector, know the competition, know a little bit about the economy, and all of that takes a lot of consistent hard work across the year, which probably is the thing that defines good salespeople from bad salespeople, is the amount of work they're prepared to put into planning, strategy, and then the execution of the tactics. And what I find more and more is that the planning that goes into a sales year is the very, very minimum by most people. There are some people who will do a lot of hard work, who will forecast, who will sit down well before the, the 1st of January when the dread of alcohol and going back to work is, is heading in and you need to start getting your metaphorical together. It's done on a very frequent basis and you recalibrate and you recalibrate and you recalibrate and so it goes and so it goes. It's impossible to go in to the last week of a month and be confident that you're going to address the target if all you've done is work hand to mouth, if all you've done is plan meetings into that week, if all you've done is plan meetings even into that month. There has to be a degree of planning and that starts with the very, very first step of selling, which is prospecting. Now, most managers tend to, well, I don't know, maybe I can say most managers do or most managers don't, I don't know. There's a good mixture of those managers that will deliver the target as a fait accompli and say, you've got to deliver on that, off you go. Or the managers to sit down with them and say, okay, based on your knowledge of your territory, let's talk about what you think you can achieve next year. I also don't know how much influence there is from the bottom up to, to go to the boardroom to challenge the thinking of the FD, the CEO, sales director to say, you know what, our people are right, we shouldn't be having such ambitious targets. But that's another story. So what I want to talk about in this podcast um, is really about planning for success, planning your territory for success, owning your territory, treating it like as if you were running your own business. Many of the companies and teams that I'm working with, the challenge is to let them start to believe that they're entrepreneurs to start to think like an entrepreneur where you start off as start off as running your own business you put an inordinate amount of work in to get the wheels moving to get the engine started and once the engine is started you spend your time spinning plates all the way through 
from winning the sale, managing the project, delivering the project, asking for repeat business, fighting off competition, and so it goes and so it goes. And so you're looking at a certain type of person who's more interested in becoming an advanced salesperson, somebody who's not just in sales because they only got ended up with a humanities graduate and they didn't want to be a doctor or put the work in to become a pharmacist or whatever, whatever the case might be. And so I want to talk a little bit about a checklist, let's say, that you can put into place when you're trying to put together your own personal plan if you're a sales exec and if you're a manager, thinking about how you would portion out the sales territory for the island of Ireland, let's say, geographically, by sector, by business type, by business size, by lifetime value, by potential opportunity, by risk and reward, all that sort of stuff. So the first thing is basically trying to get a firm commitment from the people involved that they are up for it, that this plan will become theirs. It's not the business plan, it's their plan. And you're going to give them that degree of autonomy or they're able to take that degree of autonomy and write that plan so psychologically it's theirs. That's the big challenge. Each seller then puts forward a sales strategy statement. It is my intention this year to improve sales over the last 12 months by 20% across these sectors, categories, territories. I intend to increase profitability or improve profitability by profitability by 5% and I intend to target 10 new clients, four of which will deliver X hundred thousand pounds or 50 pounds or whatever it is. And it's basically, you're making a commitment on paper that you will talk to everybody else in the room and say, this is what I'm going to do. And that becomes your North Star for the year. Now that sounds fairly easy, but it's a little more complex than it sounds because psychologically making a commitment you know, at the end of March or the beginning of January or whenever it is that you're setting up your targets for the year is one thing, but it's been able to manage that degree of discipline and rigor and resilience for the rest of the year that also determines a good sales year for anybody. I was working with a sports uh, footballer recently and the footballer had gone off form. The footballer was a really, really good, good footballer and a good herder and had been kicked off the county panel because he wasn't big enough. He was told, come back next year when you've put on a bit of beef and you've toughened up a little bit. That was pretty much what they said. One sentence and he was out of it. So that affected his club football. And I was asking him a few things um, about how he approached the game. And I asked him... Um, how much time do you spend on the ball in the typical 70 minutes? And he said, oh, about four or five minutes. And I said, so what are you doing for the rest of the time? And he says, he's looking for options and he's marking and he's running. And I said, well, what are you doing mentally? What are you thinking about for those 65 minutes? And he goes, nothing. I haven't done anything really. I'm not really thinking about anything. It's like whatever comes at me at the moment. And then we talked about that in more detail. And um, I, I remember Damien Hughes, when I got him on the podcast, he said that he was working with the English Rugby League team and he asked the same question. He says, most of you guys are spending time in the gym or playing and yet you spend so much time without the ball and you're not practicing what goes on mentally uh, during the game. 
again, I've talked about this for a fair bit, but in sales, it's all about the mentality. It's your approach, it's your resilience, it's taking no's, it's working in 25 degrees in an office that there's the, the, you know, no air conditioning that we're going through right now. It's working in the winter time when it's really dark in the morning and dark in the evening. It's about getting yourself up. And that's something that is really hard to manage as a sales manager. And sometimes it's really hard to manage as a salesperson. And I'm seeing it becoming increasingly more and more important in the life of a salesperson and a sales leader. More of that in another podcast, maybe. So you're getting people together and you're making them commit to the plan, right? Before it's even written, are you going to commit to this plan? What is your objective for this year? So it's a bit like SOSTAC, you know, where are you now? What's your objective? What's your strategy? And how are you going to deliver on the tactics and who's going to, and when's it going to happen and how's it going to happen and all that sort of stuff. So you have a little bit of a psychological battle in trying to get these people to come to you confidently and saying, yeah, I'm going to do that. And if you can get that done, that's a really brilliant start to your year. If you get somebody that can come to you and genuinely believe that it's possible for them to hit that target, that's deadly. So how do you do that? Well, you need to have a planning process in place and you need to have a product in place and you need to have a system in place and you need to have a business in place that looks like it's in its entirety geared up for a successful year next year. Because it can't just be the salespeople that are gearing up for an improvement of 20%. It has to be production, it has to be service delivery, it has to be IT, it has to be HR, it has to be everything. And so the wider responsibility of the senior business team is to make sure that everybody is on top of their game for the first day of the new sales program. Then you work back your miles, and I give you the very, very basic example beforehand, but if you need to sell £100 worth and your average deal size is £5, then 100 divided by 5 is 20 deals. You need to get 20 deals, which means for you to get 20 deals, you're probably going to have to have about 60 or 80 proposals out. And if you're going to have that many proposals out, you're, sorry, 40 proposals for 40 proposals you're going to have to have 160 deals discussed as in meetings and for you to get meetings your call ratio is going to be about one in four so you need about four or five hundred people to speak to over the course of a year which means the very first part of the job which is the real ball buster if i can say that is prospecting is getting the the data down and at 50 percent of your business is new business that's great Mostly 80% or 90% of your business for the following year could well be from existing customers, which means you only have to get the additional 20% plus 20% more. So it's not that much of a challenge. But the miles need to work. And it needs to be realistic and it needs to be credible. And you have to do some account-based marketing analytics to see, are you really getting as much as you can out of the accounts you have? How easy is it to upsell, cross-sell, portfolio sell to the people you have to get them to pay more? And then once you've done all that, you break down your annual plan into quarterly objectives. And so for those quarterly objectives, you've got to look at the seasonality. When um, from history is your business most active? When is the downtime? And when is it highly competitive? So if you're working in retail, you're going to do about 90% of your business from October through to January the 2nd, let's say. And after that, it's just trying to manage your business. If you're working in other sectors, it could be entirely different. Ideally, I'll give you an example here in Ireland. There's a 
nothing happens over the 12th of July, for God's sake. So everybody takes holidays. Um, but things do happen over the 12th of July. We're becoming a little bit more um, forward thinking in how we do our own economics here. And some people are steadfastly refusing not to take holidays. Some people are taking holidays and there's some people who are determined to do business. And that figure is changing to those people who are doing business. Same with Christmas. Nothing happens over Christmas. And so you take an old seasonality, the attitude, and you try and work hard to change things or plan them as best you can so that you're going to have four quarters that will all add up to the annual figure that you're looking for. Then you have to work out what the level of inbound inquiries is going to be against the sales generated uh, outbound leads and that you can stand over it. If you haven't got a website that's optimized, I've just spent two days working on a pitch myself for a new client that has five businesses and the cry is that the sales are really down but I looked through their websites and not one of the websites is geared up to generate any kind of inbound leads. And so the salespeople, all they need is to get a smattering of leads that they can get as inbound, that they can fine-tune their skills on, that they can feel more confident and comfortable in trying to sell before they all have to do outbound lead gen through email, through LinkedIn, Sales Navigator and outbound calls. So it's important that there's a really good stimulated mix of inbound um, and outbound uh, leads on the go. So then you're into talking about the sales cycle. But before we talk about the sales cycle, let's talk about holidays. What happens if all of your business is being delivered at the end of each month because you're selling to consumers that are typically relying on getting paid at the end of the month and cash is really tight at the minute? Are you able to justify? Are you able to demand? Are you able to request? Or are your salespeople smart enough to know that that's not the best time for me to take a holiday because that's the best time for me to sell? So you have to think of the holiday cycle. You have to think of the sales cycle. You have to think about win ratios. You have to take into account all of the metrics before you even start thinking about the quality of the sales call. Let's look at the quantitative stuff first of all. A client used to say to me that it's all about activity equals results and I would change my mind but not his on the idea that it's a certain type of activity will equal results. So are, is it the right kind of activity that's been undertaken in terms of the quantity of outbound calls? Is it the right number of inbound leads that have been generated? And does the seller have the right kind of skills to be put on the phone? Not everybody's good on the phone. Not everybody's good face to face. So then that goes back to a deployment issue. Are you using the right people and the right part of the sales chain? Are you using people who are really good with customers? but aren't good at opening conversations in the wrong way around? And can you change that? And how do you motivate them? So that's complex up to this point, and we've still got a little bit more to talk about. What about the um, reward program? What about the commission structure? You know, the worst thing a salesperson can be told is that, see if you hit that target at the end of the month, I'm going to give you a thousand pounds. I'm going to give you a voucher to you. I'm going to give you X, Y, and Z tickets to see Northern Ireland against Ukraine, whatever it is, only for on hindsight 
to fully admit and concede that the target was ridiculous in the first place. So there is a real pressure on manager and salesperson to make sure that the targets are achievable and that there isn't just one real big burst of energy towards the end of the month. Because, um, yeah, if it's business to consumer, that might be the case, but there's groundwork that needs to be done up to that. And all sales can't be reliant on four or five days activity for 12 months of the year. You have to work harder to try and spread the load across the time period. And there has to be a commission structure that rewards hard work. And then how do you integrate these plans into a team plan and how do you motivate the team? Um, is it a barbecue every summer and a Christmas party people go to and sure it's great and we have two events out? Or are you kind of looking at one of, one of the clients I've been working with worked really, really hard to come up with novel ideas of rewards at the end of the month and a commission structure that was based on what these people really, really were set on fire about. So one person got a day off, another person got something else, and it was working hard at a management level to put in place a commission structure that would genuinely reward people at the right place at the right time. Not everybody's interested in money. Some people just like the pat on the back. Some people like the pat on the back and the money. Some people don't care about the pat on the back. Carrot and the stick, no carrot, no stick. But you need to have something in place to make sure that the engine stays on the tram lines and going in the right direction throughout the year. Another conversation um, on all of this is time management. So it's an onerous task at the start of the year to look down the face of a target that's just, you've come out of a year where you struggle to hit target and all of a sudden the next 12 months is going to be dictated by another 20% on top of a target of last year that you didn't achieve. And so the psychology needs to be put aside for a more practical focus on time management. How are you going to plan your activities and time in the right order so that you can be hugely efficient over the year? You don't need to be working from eight in the morning to seven at night, five days a week. Not only do you not need to, it's not sustainable. And there's no guarantee if you do work that length of time that you're going to be ultra successful. The chances are if you're doing something wrong, putting in more hours and striving for repetition is going to make you wrong more often. So it's about being able to stop at the beginning of the year, put the battle plan together, Commit to the plan, discuss it, don't be afraid to kick it back and forward, hold the line and defend it, because if you can't defend the target internally, it says a lot about your negotiation skills externally, you have to be very committed to it. If you believe in it and you believe that you have got the machinery with which to deliver on it, you've got the right marketing support, you've got the right kind of content, your brand positioning is right, everything taken out of your hands, you don't have to do any admin, you don't have to do any site uh, deliveries, you don't have to do any kind of report writing, all the stuff is done for you, then you need to ensure as a salesperson that the majority of your time is dedicated to the sales process. And if you're a sales manager, you need to make sure that they are spending the right kind of time doing the right kind of work. And then off you go. And not to say that it's easy, um, but it's made a whole lot easier if you follow a plan and if the plan makes sense, and if the plan can be delivered, and it can be repeated again and again and again, then it makes the sales job a whole lot easier. You start getting really, really good at it because you've perfected something 
over a period of time. You're not repeating it for the sake of it, you're repeating it to improve. And there's a really strong likelihood that your customers, your prospects will see that you're on top of the game and that's gonna help you instill trust much quicker. And it's kind of a process that almost completes the circle by itself. The question is, if you're prepared to spend the time creating the circle that works for you, for your team, for yourself, for others or whatever that dynamic looks like in your business something to think about i hope thanks for tuning in and enjoy this great weather have a good weekend